Heavenly Father, we thank you that that is exactly the truth. Your mercy is always more. And we spend our lives following our Lord Jesus Christ, and we discover that. With every trial that we wind up walking through, we draw closer to you and we discover that we can never exhaust your love for us. We can never exhaust your grace or your kindness or your mercy. And we just pray that you would speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a very special morning here. At the end of this service, there's going to be a baptism. And so we get to see Lucy Hobbins, right? Uh, get baptized, and hopefully um, we'll think about telling the children's work that they can come in here because there are some young kids in there who need to see this happen too. And so with that, I was told that I get to take the plane up, circle once around the airfield, and I have to land it. And, and kind of in contrast to what Ken said, they asked me to preach, but nobody said anything about studying the passage. So I'm going to go... Okay, so what does it mean to love your brother? Well, um, I have to admit this is going to be a little bit of a bait and switch here. You know, there's a story about um, this guy who was really forgetful and his wife would send him out for food. And so she sent him out one day to McDonald's and she said, Now, honey, I want a filet of fish, but remember to tell him not to put cheese on it. Why do they always have to put cheese on everything at McDonald's? So he says, okay, honey, I'll remember that. No cheese on the filet of fish. So he goes out, and he comes back, and she opens the bag. It's Long John Silver. She looks in the bag, and she says, oh, two filets. I told you to get me popcorn shrimp. That's kind of an old people's joke, apparently. But he went with it, and he says, you know, I am so forgetful. He said... Here's your popcorn shrimp. Give me that bag. That's mine. <laughs> anyway, what does it mean to love your brother as McDonald's? But we're going to Long John Silver this morning. And we may get back to McDonald's before we're done here. Now, the passage is a fairly easy passage. And uh, that's why we need to look a little bit more into it. So let's see what that next slide looks like. Okay, this is it. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has these world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Now, the thing is, I could just say, blessed be filled and go your way, and you probably are all applying this in some way anyway. But... There's more to this passage than meets the eye. So I, maybe I did study. I don't know. You know. You'll have to decide when we're done. And the question is, is there a prerequisite in this? Because there is something about this that is easy to read, and we still can live in word or in speech and not really scratch the surface of this. Because it looks like if we just, you know, if we serve at a food bank or we are benevolent to people who are in need, then we've taken care of this. And I think this passage is an awful lot deeper than this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at First John, but we're going to be maybe looking more in depth at what um, John might have been thinking about. So if you've ever read the book of First John... The thing that you know is, next slide, John is jittery. 
And I, I don't know if you can picture the ending of this book in your mind, but it's a very kind of disjointed book in a way. It's hard to teach. It's not that easy because you, you keep having to go out and qualify things that John says because he makes a lot of absolute statements that seem like to the normal person, these would be really hard to understand. So did the, the light shine, kids? Did, did the, the little light shine? Very good. Cool. They had a puppet show this morning. So, here's the thing. I'm going to just run through some of these things very quickly. It talks about light. John talks about light and darkness and sin and deceiving ourselves. Uh, if we say we haven't sinned, we make God a liar. If we don't obey, the truth is not in us. Now, wow! Right? That's one of those absolute things that we have to deal with. Loving your brother, not hating him, or you're walking in darkness. He talks about it being the last hour and the Antichrist is coming, and there are many Antichrists that have gone out, and some of them have even gone out from us. He talks about abiding in Jesus. He talks about the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. Being like Jesus when we see Him. Uh, the one who sins is of the devil. What? Um, uh, and no one born of God commits sin. And this is how we know who is the devil and who commits sin. And he talks about loving our brother. And Cain killed Abel. And he says, no one of the world hates us because we are not of the world. Okay, what I mean in this is that there are a lot of things that John is writing about that are a little bit difficult to understand. Now, our passage seems kind of seamless, but there's more going on there than meets the eye. So what we need to do is we need to find a way to decipher John. Next slide. It could be that he was drinking too much coffee, which usually happens to me around 3 o'clock. I start getting jittery, and I probably don't make much sense. But if he was drinking coffee, so was the Holy Spirit, right? So there has to be something more going on here. It seems like John is writing in a kind of shorthand. Almost like there's a, a little bit of a code going on here. And the reason I put... Does everybody recognize that as being by the way? By the way, right? There are a lot of people that speak in abbreviations. They text in abbreviations. It's like, what? What did you just text me? I have no clue what that is. And then i got to Google it and find out what it is. So the key to decoding John in understanding what he's talking about there, I think that John is assuming that the readers, the people that he sent this to, have a certain base of knowledge. And the key to decoding First John is to realize that all of the definitions and contexts are laid out. Now, who wants to play hangman? No one. And I don't either. We don't have time. The Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, you will find everything. Carol, did you get that? Okay, I thought you did. So, what are the prerequisites for loving our brother? And that's what we're going to be looking at because, see, I think that in John's mind, he's assuming the people he's talking to already understand a lot of these things. So, next slide. Just a little bit of history here. John is the latest writer of all the apostles. He's writing sometime around 85, 90 A.D. Paul... As we read Paul's epistles, now we love Paul's epistles, we love Romans, and we love 1 Corinthians and some of these other ones, because there's so much good stuff in there, but you realize that Paul is addressing all of these churches that are having problems, and out of the context of the rising problems in the church, he's writing stuff for us. Um, and and it's, it's good stuff. But more and more problems were arising in the church. Now, when John was writing, the, pro the possibility was 
a lot of these problems had gotten bigger. They say that one of the ways that you know it was the apostolic age and God had His hand on the time of the apostles was after the apostles disappeared, how quickly other things came into the church. It was a blessed time, but there were still problems. You see Paul fighting for his life in a lot of his letters. Things were happening in church. People were starting to think of the church as a place for status. They were thinking of it as their organization. The church was starting to become something the church was never meant to be. Peter and Jude are probably the later writers, along with Paul, when Paul wrote First and Second Timothy. And when you read Second uh, uh, Peter and you read Jude, um, some of the things that they say are so harsh. Peter talks about waterless clouds. Well, Paul also does too, in a way. These were people who came into churches and became popular in churches, but they never planted the church. They didn't have the ability to bring life, but what they did do was they took over what somebody else had done. They were clouds that where you thought, this cloud will bring the water that we need, and they were waterless. They were just words. They were speech, but they were not life. And I think this was happening more and more in the church. And John, at least for his section of where he ministered around Ephesus at that time, etc., he's like the last man standing. Now, Thomas might have been standing too, but he would have been standing. He, he looked for India, and he didn't get on the ship of Columbus, and he went to Carolina. I, I think he discovered, Car- or was it Carola? Carola? Something like that? Okay, that, that's where Thomas went. That he, but also in search of India, right? So, um, but we don't know how long he lived. John is the last man standing. And so what did the church look like at that time? It was probably falling apart maybe a little bit more than what you see with Paul and what you see with Peter and Jude. And so that's just a little bit of historical context. Now, let's look at maybe the correlation between the Gospel and 1 John. In the Gospel of John, love is talked about 26 times. Okay? And so, in chapter 13 through 17, you get 15 of those 26 times. That's, that's a pretty good ratio, right? Now, seven of them are in chapter 21. I mean, that's the chapter where, Pete, where Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, Lord. You... So you would expect a lot to be there. So between the upper room discourse, chapters 13 through 17, and chapter 21, you account for almost all of them. The uses of love. What I'm trying to show you here is in the upper room discourse, this is where Jesus is really talking about love and loving one another. comes up first in chapter 13. It's mentioned twice in chapter 15. Actually, chapter 15 turns out to be a very important and pivotal chapter in the Upper Room Discourse. Six of the times that love is mentioned are in chapter 15 alone. Now, in 1 John, you have 40 times in 26 verses. I mean, 1 John seems like it's all about love. But the correlation is this. I think that John, when he's talking about love, the context is, what did Jesus say in the upper room? Because he's talking about loving your brother. And that's where loving your brother comes out first. Now, the other word that's kind of important in this entire context is the word abide. And that's even more interesting. The word abide is only used 19 times in the New Testament. Only 19 times in the New Testament. 
Nine of those times are in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. And another seven are in 1 John. John is making a correlation between these two things. So if you want to understand the book of 1 John, you really need to study the Upper Room Discourse. Because I think John is pulling from that. I think he's saying, I have defined a lot of these things there. And now I'm just going to talk to you because he knew these people and they needed to hear this. And I think they could have referred back to this because the Gospel of John was written basically at the same time. And probably a little bit before this. So the word abide is going to be an important word. And love is an important word. In chapter 15 is probably the pivotal part of this section. So now let's go to the next slide. I was just showing that to show that if you want to understand 1 John, you cannot ignore those four chapters. So, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So this is where John is referring back to. He's referring back to this verse in chapter 15. Now chapter 15, I'm not going to get into because you can go home. Because I've I've got to start landing the plane here. Uh, This is your homework. Go home and read chapter 15. It is a wonderful chapter. It's a very convicting chapter. And by the time you get done reading it, you're not going to be sure if you want to do what Jesus says there. But it's fun. I love it. So, notice that Jesus says that a man lay down his life for his friends. What in the world is he talking about there? Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Where did Jesus, I mean, what is he referring to here? Is this uh, kind of like ethereal? Is this like, I'm going to lay down my life for you in a, um, like in my heart. I'm going to lay down my life for you in my heart. Or does he really mean it? Okay, and where Jesus got that from is John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, he's not saying, I'm laying down my life for my friends. I like you. You, not so much. I'm laying down my life for my friends. He's saying, I'm laying down my life for everyone. For the sheep. Okay? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me as the Father knows me and I love and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What Jesus is saying is I'm going to die. I am going to put my life down. I am going to hand myself over to death for the sheep so that they can come to me. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This charge has been given to me by my Father. Now, there's a lot of theology there, and we won't go into it. But the bottom line is this. Jesus is saying, I am going to die. 
I am willingly going to give my life. I am going to let the blood drain out of my body so that you can be saved. Now, I don't know if there's even anybody in this room who has never considered Jesus Christ or gotten close to Him or really investigated this stuff. But here's the thing you need to know. Does He love you? He gave His life for you. He's saying here, I am going to lay, I know what's coming and I'm going to do it and I want to do it to save you. I am going to let these guys murder me. Because in that is going to be the payment for your sin. And there are a lot of people who don't know what to grab onto in life. And what they really want to know, is there some security? Is there somebody who really loves me? This kind of Jesus stuff, what is it about that? Well, I'll tell you one thing that makes Christianity different than anything anything on the planet right now. Our symbol is a meal. Where God says, I want you to come and partake. It isn't a sword. It isn't a little idol. It isn't anything ethereal. It is this meal that talks about what Jesus laid down for us. Muhammad didn't lay himself down, his life down for anybody. Buddha didn't lay his life down for anyone. Does God really love me? He put action to his words. His heart is expressed in the fact that He gave His Son for us, for you. And I don't know how you can resist that kind of love. You can't say from this point on, nobody loves me. I don't know what the basis of Christianity is, the basis of Christianity, the basis of God calling us and wanting to talk with us and wanting us to consider the fact that we need to turn from what's keeping us away from Him and come to Him is this. He laid down His life. And He did it willingly. That's amazing. But for everyone else in the room, it means something else. And it is simply this. Are you willing to lay down your life? You mean in my heart? No. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to die? For him and for other sheep. That's the question. This isn't really ethereal at all. This isn't theoretical. This isn't, well, you know, given the opportunity, I, you know. Are you willing to consider, are you willing to go home and go into the closet? I know it would probably be like the line of witch in a wardrobe. You go in the closet and this coat's hanging all over the place. You know, go someplace where you can be by yourself and say, am I willing to die? Because that is the question that's being asked. And I don't think in John's mind there was any other way to understand it. So when he says, this is, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to be willing to die for others. I think that's what that means. We ought to be willing to die. And I know my flesh wants to cling to this life. My flesh really wants to hold on. But I think this is the basis. I don't know how to put it without being too hard. This is the basis of following Jesus. This is the basis of what it means to be a disciple. Oh, here he goes again. He's gonna, we knew he was going to wind us into discipleship somehow. Well, let's just do it. What the, yeah, why not? Okay, so next slide. 
The prerequisite for understanding this, I think, is death and loss. This is what Jesus says in Luke. He says, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll save it. This is discipleship 101. This isn't even, you know, graduate level or anything. This is what he's saying to his disciples. This is what he says to a crowd. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Now, you know, back in the 70s, the psychologists went nuts with this one. You know, what does it mean to take up your cross? Does that mean because your mom fed you peas and didn't love you? You know, and, and now you've got to carry that burden with you through life. I don't know what that means. That, that may be part of it. But what I do know is if you saw somebody in Jerusalem carrying a cross, they were only ever going to one place. To their death. They would be dead within hours. That's what that meant. And what Jesus is saying here is, are you, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross daily. You have to take up your death daily. What would happen today if I were to die? I remember one time, um, as I'm wrestling with this, right? We, we lived in Memphis at that time. And there were a lot of things going on in our lives. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what in the world, you know? Um, it was it was so hard what we were going through. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, Laura says she's happy to be married. But I say I'm sorry to her regularly because of what we have been through in this short 15-year walk. But I'm walking there and I'm saying, okay, uh, deny myself. If, if I'm going to take up my cross today and realize that I'm going to die today, by the end of today sometime you're going to ask me to cash in. And I'm going to do it willingly. What does the rest of this day look like? And I don't hear audible voices. I've told you that because I went to Dallas Seminary. We're not allowed. But it was just so clear to me. You are going to go home and you are going to strengthen your wife. You're going to encourage your wife. If this is your last day with her, you're going to make this a good day for your wife. It doesn't matter what she says. It matters what you do. And people you come in contact with, there were some people who I needed to uh, close doors with, so to speak. And I put that in perspective. If today is the last day, then I need to watch the way I live every second of this day to live it for Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound a little bit like loving your brother? And maybe the reason we have a hard time really putting that into action is because we really are not willing to die. Now, the reason I have the passage up here in John is because of the correlation between the two. Because you could say, well, look, John didn't write Luke, right? Luke comes kind of out of the, the Paulish world of things. But this is what Jesus said, and this is really cool. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And you see, you can put these together. Jesus is talking about dying. And this is, this is really interesting, because when you get to John 15, a lot of people will dicker about this. Well, and this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Well, what does bearing fruit mean? Jesus uses exactly the same phrase in the Greek right here. He defines it right here. 
Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It duplicates itself the way Jesus' life has duplicated itself in faith coming into the lives of other people and then getting saved. And so Jesus says, going back to John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have to die. So that new life can spring up. And then he says that same thing. That's why I put loss up there. He who saves his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will get it back again. And I, folks, are we willing to lose our lives? Or are we just, you know, fighting like crazy? I mean, there's nothing wrong with suburbia, but you gotta admit, it's a lot harder to, to sense loss in suburbia. I mean, everything here is just so nice. Whereas if you live in a third world country, and I've, I've heard more, more people than I can uh, mention say this, when you live in other countries, the reality of this comes a lot closer. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to hold back? In here, it's just difficult. And this is from the Apostle Paul. I protest, brethren, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Well, he meant dying in his heart, right? No. What Paul is saying here is he made a commitment every day to die for Jesus Christ. It's Discipleship 101, right? It's Discipleship 101. To, bear, to take up your cross daily and follow me, I die every day. I think Paul prayed that prayer. And maybe that's something all of us need to start doing every day when we start. I do it. Lord, help me today to deny myself, to take up my cross, be willing to die, and to follow you. Because I think that reality of death needs to be with us. So, next slide. I need to get out of here. Um, The prerequisite to fully being able to understand this verse and use this verse is our willingness to die. It's death and loss. The context is the Great Commission. You know, it's one of these things where somebody says, why are you always talking about the Great Commission? I don't see it in this verse. Well, here's the deal. It's in every verse. The Great Commission has been in every verse since Adam and Eve fell. And God said to the serpent, she is going to have a child that is going to crush your head. You will only bruise his heel, but he will defeat you. Ever since that verse, everything has been about the Great Commission. And so even if it doesn't appear in every verse, it is in everything that God is doing. The plan of salvation has never stopped and it moves forward. And our lives have to be a part of that. For us only to think about it, every time we get a preacher who talks about it, it's just not complete. And in order to really live this verse, our hope has to be in our coming Savior. Now, where did that one come from? Well, we won't go back there, but that verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, I die every day, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is about the resurrection and the coming of Christ. So if you read those words, in a few verses, Paul says, Brethren, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, He's talking about the coming of Christ. What gives, let's go backwards. 
What gives you the hope to be able to lay your life down? The fact that Jesus is raised from the dead and that He's coming. We're not losing anything if we die. We're gaining everything in Christ, right? We believe that in our hearts and in our heads. But is that really true? When we step out of this body, are we in the presence of Jesus Christ? If that's true, we can leave it on the planet in order to help other people get saved. That's how Paul lived his life. And that reality, I mean, if Jesus talked about it the last 40 days that he was with the apostles, it's very important stuff. Our life has a purpose and a mission. Every day when we wake up, it is important. Everything that God leads us into. And that gives us purpose in our life. And we need to be willing to die for our Lord. Uh, Let's do the next slide. So let's read through this very quickly. Um, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, sheep, sees sheep in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? It doesn't work. If you are living in the mission, if you are willing to die every day, if your hope is in the coming of Jesus Christ, and you know that if He asks you at that moment, are you willing to do it for me? Boom, you're going to be with Him in heaven. So how would that even be possible, yet apparently that was happening? You know, and I've got a couple of, uh, just write this in the margin of your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 5, they're building the wall and everything. And what happens is the wealthy landowners take advantage of the people because the people aren't living on their land. They're in the city working on the wall, and they're taking horrible advantage of them. That's an example of it. And that happens in churches. It happens all over. Um, we're not going to read Third John. Read Third John. Because there's this one guy, Diotrephes, who doesn't like John. I mean, doesn't like the, we all love the apostle John. He didn't like John. Why should he listen to John? I can tell five reasons why he should listen to John. But this guy took over a church, and he wasn't letting them give aid to workers or anything like that. It was already happening. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. And it's just, a, it's just very simply to say, I think, that if we, if we really want to follow this verse, these verses, the prerequisite is going back to what Jesus said that John is referring back to. We need to be willing to lay down our lives, and we need to mean it. We need to grow into it. We need to be like our Savior. To take up our cross every day and look ahead of us and say, Lord, if you lead me into that situation and you say, Dan, I want you to lay it down right here, am I willing to do it? And I hope I am. Because I live on mission following Jesus Christ. If anyone would serve me, he must follow me so that where I am, there will my servant be also. And Jesus is a moving Savior. He's still walking in the world trying to save and call sheep. We need to be willing to give our lives for the sheep too, as an under-shepherd or a servant of our Lord. But the joy is His coming, our resurrection. That is going to be forever. So at this point, I'm just going to say peace be filled, but I want to show you some family pictures. 
And it's a family I don't deserve to have, but I'm going to show you these pictures. And it's, uh, it goes along with a little bit of a song, and I'm not going to come back up to the pulpit after this, then Ryan and whoever else can do the thing, but I want to show this video. Uh, what I want to say in the video is just simply this, that um, uh, my first wife, Beth Udarian, uh, is in this video. And um, uh, the song was written by Stephen Curtis Chapman, especially for this event that we're going to be showing here. And because I got to cut the video because the video was too long, I saved the end pictures are of Beth and her brother Jerry and Mom Udarian. If you want to know what Beth looked like, get a good look at Mom Udarian. They could have been twins if they would have been the same age. Um, and if you want to see what her husband looked like, uh, Roger Udarian, um, uh, he's the guy with the, the dark curly hair. Uh, in there, and when they show all five guys, he's the guy right in the middle wearing the military uni- uniform. And the only thing I want to say is these guys did not love. In German, they say, I'm built too close to the water. I live too close to the water. <clears throat> but anyway, the, the point being is that these guys were willing to put their lives where their speech was. They meant it. They paid the price when God called their number, and God used them greatly.